Well, like Isaac, I also want to wish all of you a happy new year. And I hope that it's gotten off to a good start for you. I hope that you are excited about uh, potential opportunities for this coming year. I mean, think about it. Maybe we will get to see the completion of the Dayton Community Food Pantry building project. Maybe the hiring of a youth director for here at DFBC. Maybe you've got some of your own projects planned. Maybe a new job. Maybe you've got a grandchild on the way. Maybe you have a special trip or a vacation that you've scheduled and are looking forward to. My hope for you is that you are looking at 2024 with excitement and anticipation of good things to come. But I can imagine that there are also some of us who are looking forward towards this coming year with some concerns about what this year might mean for our country. You might have economic concerns. What are the markets going to do? What is it going to mean for your job, for your retirement? Political uncertainty. Who's going to be our next president? How smoothly will the election go? Will both sides accept whatever the outcome is? And what kind of policies and agenda will our new president try to put in place? Maybe your concerns are of a more personal nature. Maybe you're concerned about your health or about something that's going on with your kids or with your grandkids. You know, when we find ourselves in the midst of struggle and worry, it isn't uncommon for us to wonder why God doesn't do more to fix our world. I mean, if God loves us so much, why doesn't he intervene more often in the situations around us? Why doesn't God do more to fix our nation? Why doesn't he heal our loved ones more often? Why does God allow our kids or our grandkids to walk away from their faith? Why doesn't God do more to fix all the brokenness and suffering in our world? These are real questions. And they're difficult questions. Because a lot of times we don't have real satisfying or fully satisfying answers to them. The answers just aren't obvious. And between the struggles that we endure and our unanswered questions, Sometimes we are led to wonder if maybe, maybe God has forgotten us or even abandoned us. You know, if you're here this morning and because of things going on in your life, you're wondering if maybe God has forgotten you or abandoned you, I am really glad that you are here this morning. Because whether that is something you are struggling with or whether you know somebody close to you who's in that very predicament, we are going to look at a text that's going to speak to that issue. 
Now, I want to be clear. I make you no promise that I'm going to be able to answer, at least not satisfactorily, all of your questions that you might have. But what I can give you, what I will give you this morning, is clear evidence that God has not forgotten nor abandoned us. This morning, we are returning to our series from the New Testament book of 1 Thessalonians. And I want to remind you that this book is really a letter written by the early church leader, Paul, to a very new church in the city of Thessalonica. Now, this is a city that was large and prosperous and very religious, but not very Christian. And so Paul wrote this letter to them to encourage them and to help them to know how to live well and faithfully in their city. This morning, I am going to remind you why Paul had very good reason to be concerned that those Thessalonian Christians might have been feeling like they had been forgotten and abandoned, both by Paul and by God. We're going to see how Paul makes it clear to them that, in fact, this is not true. They have not been forgotten. They have not been abandoned. And we're going to discover how this text can speak to us in 2024, especially if we might be wondering or feeling at times like we've been forgotten or abandoned by God. So if you've got a Bible, I invite you to open it with me to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. And if you're using one of our red Bibles, that'll be on page 1835. Worship team is encroaching on my space. Now this letter that we are looking at was all started with Paul's initial visit to Thessalonica. In Acts 17, uh, we actually see described for us some of the circumstances around Paul's first visit, his initial visit to the city of Thessalonica. He arrived in the city with, uh, along with Silas and Timothy, two of his colleagues and ministry partners. And as was Paul's typical strategy, he began in the city by sharing the good news about Jesus in the Jewish synagogue first. And initially, things went really well. Some of the Jews, and even more of the Gentiles who were there, responded to the message, and they pledged their love and loyalty to Jesus as the true Messiah that they'd been waiting for. And at this point, the Thessalonian church was birthed. It started. But after just a few weeks... Some of the Jews who rejected Paul's message became jealous of this response that he was getting. And so they formed a mob, they incited a riot, and they had Paul and Silas accused of treasonous behavior, of promoting a king other than Caesar. And though untrue, these charges were serious enough that the new believers in Thessalonica smuggled Paul and Silas out of the city under the cover of darkness, sending them on to the town of Berea. In Berea, Paul and Silas also had great success in sharing the message of Jesus, but then the Thessalonian Jews also drove them out of that city as well. 
All of this turmoil and opposition stirred up by the Jews meant that Paul and Silas's time in the city of Thessalonica had been very brief, potentially as short as just a few weeks. And the brevity of this visit caused, created two problems in particular. First, you got to remember that everyone in the Thessalonican church or in the Thessalonian church, was a very new Christian. And they were living in an environment in which it was very difficult to be Christian. Many of the people around them would have viewed them with suspicion and with distrust and were likely pressuring them to abandon their newfound faith. And then second, there were some people in the city, probably from the Jewish synagogue, who had mounted a campaign against Paul, a slander campaign. They were accusing him of being a false teacher, of just being in it for the money, of being a coward who had turned and run because of a little opposition. And more than anything, they pointed to Paul's absence as proof that he had forgotten and abandoned them, which they presented as damning evidence that he didn't really care about them. And so this is why Paul wrote this letter. See, he wanted these Christians to know that they had not been forgotten. And that whatever some, me, some people may have been telling them, no matter what they might have been feeling, they had not been abandoned. And so let's look at the text. It begins with Paul assuring the Thessalonians that he and his team, in fact, greatly desire to get back to their city but that thus far their way has been blocked. Look at verse 17. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, starting in verse 17. Here's what Paul writes. But brothers and sisters, when we were orphaned by being separated from you for a short time, in person, not thought, not in thought, out of our intense longing, we made every effort to see you. For we wanted to come to you. Certainly I, Paul, did again and again. But Satan blocked our way. For what is our hope, our joy, or the crown in which we will glory in the presence of our Lord Jesus when he comes? Is it not you? Indeed, you are our glory and joy. Now this letter was likely written four to six months after Paul and his team's initial visit to Thessalonica. And even though he had not made it back to their city in this time, Paul wants the Thessalonians to know that the reason he hasn't come back isn't because of a lack of effort or desire on his part. In fact, Paul starts off here by describing how he feels like an orphan because of this separation that he's experienced from them. You might remember from earlier in our series that, that in other places in this letter, Paul has used family language to describe the, the quality of the relationship between him and these Christians in Thessalonica. He's previously described him and his team as being like nursing mothers and nurturing fathers towards these Christians. Well, Paul here, he continues this family theme by likening himself to being orphaned because of his separation from them. 
an orphan in the sense that he's been cut off from people that he deeply cares about, these Thessalonian Christians. In verse 19, Paul tells the Thessalonians that they are their hope and their joy and this crown in which they will glory in when Jesus comes back. In other words, the Thessalonians, they become precious brothers and sisters in Christ to Paul and to his team, as well as the living evidence that they have been faithful to this mission that God has given them to spreading the gospel. But it's there in verse 18 that Paul explains why he and Silas haven't been back to Thessalonica in order to visit them. It's because Satan has blocked their way. Now, this is one of those instances where I really wish Paul had said more because I got questions. What exactly does he mean? How does this work? What did this actually look like? And we just don't know, which has actually led people to do all sorts of speculating about it. Like maybe Paul's referring to some sort of serious illness that has befallen them. Or maybe he's referencing the ongoing legal issues that are going on there in Thessalonica. We just don't know. Uh, Although the Thessalonian Christians probably did know exactly what he was referring to here. But what is clear is that whatever it was that Paul is referring to, whatever it is that's going on here, there is a spiritual element to it. There is a spiritual dynamic, a real spiritual dynamic at play in whatever was keeping Paul and Silas from being able to get back to Thessalonica. And this... Paul fears, might be leading the Thessalonican Christians to feel like they've been forgotten and abandoned. So since it wasn't possible for Silas and Paul to get back to Thessalonica, they send Timothy instead. So deeply concerned that the Thessalonians may be giving up on their faith and unable to go and see them himself, Paul sent Timothy to Thessalonica. And Timothy went there with a two-part mission. First, he went to strengthen and encourage the Thessalonians' faith. But then also he went to assure them that the difficulties and suffering that they were experiencing was not unexpected. Let's look at the text. We're now in chapter 3, starting in verse 1. Paul writes, when we, meaning Paul and Silas, could stand it no longer, we thought it best to be left by ourselves in Athens. We sent Timothy, who is our brother and co-worker in God's service and spreading the gospel of Christ, to strengthen and to encourage you in your faith so that no one would be unsettled by these trials. For you know quite well that we are destined for them. In fact, when we were with you, we kept telling you that we would be persecuted. And it turned out that way, as you well know. For this reason, when I could stand it no longer, I sent to find out about your faith. I was afraid that in some way the tempter had tempted you and that our labors might have been in vain. 
So Paul and Silas, who are in Athens at this point and unable to get back to Thessalonica, they send Timothy to the church, to the city instead. And Timothy is entrusted with doing two things in particular. First, Timothy was to strengthen and to encourage them in their faith. Now remember, at this point, everyone in this church is very young in their faith. No one there has been a Christian for more than six months. And there were certainly at least a few who, are already had, who already had some measure of spiritual death and maturity because of their Jewish faith and knowledge of the Old Testament. But how all of that pointed to Jesus and was now fulfilled by him, and, and how all of this was now supposed to be lived out in their own lives in the midst of this pagan culture, everything about that was still very new to them. But Timothy, as a disciple and traveling companion of Paul, he would have been able to continue the teaching and the discipling that they needed in the way of Jesus while he spent this time with them. Now, the second part of Timothy's mission related to a very specific part of this teaching and discipleship, and that is suffering for their faith. See, to pledge love and loyalty to Jesus above all others and then to start living according to his values and his priorities and his methods would put them at odds with the values, methods, and priorities of the people and the culture all around them. And so these Christians there in Thessalonica, they would have been experiencing rejection. They were likely getting blamed for any misfortune that was happening around them because they were worshiping the wrong gods. And they would have been viewed with suspicion by pretty much everyone, probably being accused of not being patriotic enough because they weren't sufficiently supportive of the Roman Empire. See, hard times, suffering, rejection for following Jesus can lead Christians to, being a, to begin questioning their faith. To wonder if maybe they're doing it wrong. Or maybe they've just made a big mistake in deciding to follow Jesus at all. It is not uncommon for people to feel this way. Especially if they have not been adequately discipled. See, it isn't crazy for a person to assume that if they pledge love and loyalty to the one true God, then everything should start working out, right? And if it isn't, if life is still hard, if my loved ones still get sick, if I still lose my job, if my friends and colleagues still turn their backs on me, then maybe I'm doing something wrong. Or maybe, maybe this whole thing just is, isn't as real as I thought it was. These are not crazy assumptions to make, even if they're wrong. This is part of the reason why reading the Bible, really getting to know the Bible and being 
discipled is so important. Because what we learn from the teachings of Jesus, and especially from the example of Jesus, is that we live in a world that is both beautiful and fundamentally broken. And we live in a time, and this time in which we live is one of overlapping and competing kingdoms. We've got the kingdom of God versus the kingdom of darkness. And so because of the brokenness and the darkness, because of the presence of God's great enemy, Satan, in our world, there are going to be times of rejection and suffering for following Jesus and loss and heartache because of the deep brokenness in our world. There is no escaping this, no matter what we do and no matter who it is that we try to follow. And these are things that are going to continue. at least until that day that Jesus comes back again to bring justice and final judgment. When he comes back to claim those who belong to him and bring judgment to those who don't. And see, Paul, Paul is afraid that the brokenness of this world and the suffering related to following Jesus has tempted the Thessalonians to walk away from their faith. He's concerned that this has become the fate of those who had initially responded to his message about Jesus, but then because his time with him had been cut so short and he'd not been getting back to them, that now they've walked away. Paul was deeply concerned that these Christians were feeling forgotten and abandoned, both by him and by God. And so they send Timothy. And Timothy goes and he returns. And when he returns, he comes back with good news. Look at verse 6. Paul continues writing on. He says, referring to uh, now what Timothy's report was when he came back. But Timothy has just now come to us from you and has brought good news about your faith and love. He told us that you always have pleasant memories of us and that you long to see us just as we also long to see you. Therefore, brothers and sisters, in all our distress and persecution, we were encouraged about you because of your faith. For now we really live since you are standing firm in the Lord. How can we thank God enough for you in return for all the joy that we have in the presence of our God because of you? Night and day, we pray most earnestly that we may see you again and supply what is lacking in your faith. So Timothy, following his time in Thessalonica, is reunited with Paul and Silas, uh, who are now in the city of Corinth. And the report that Timothy brings with him from Thessalonica is gospel. It's good news. Not only have Paul's opponents in Thessalonica failed to turn the church against him, but the Christians who are there, they are are still eagerly looking forward to the day when he will, in fact, be able to come and visit them again. 
And despite the pressure and the hardship and the suffering that they've been experiencing, they've remained faithful both to Paul as well as to Jesus. And this, not surprisingly, it's deeply encouraging to Paul. In fact, he tells the Thessalonians in this letter that their faithfulness in the face of suffering has actually strengthened his faithfulness in the face of suffering that he's currently experiencing. See, they're in this together. And this mutual encouragement is making all the difference. And so Paul is praising and thanking God for them. And he's praying that God will open up a way for him to return to them one day. Now, as we step back and we consider this text, what we see is an apostle, an important leader in the early church, who's deeply concerned about a group of Christians who are experiencing hardship, rejection, and suffering. And his fear is that all of this hardship that they're facing is leading these Christians to wonder if maybe they've been forgotten, maybe they've been abandoned, both by him and more significantly by God. Now we are a long way away from Paul and the Thessalonian Christians in both time and distance, but there are parts of their experience that we can relate to today. See, like them, we also live in the same beautiful but broken world of overlapping and competing kingdoms, the kingdom of God versus the kingdom of darkness. And that means that so like them, we also experience times of loss and heartache because of the inherent brokenness of this world, as well as rejection and suffering at times for following Jesus. And that means that it's not crazy to wonder. It's not crazy for us to wonder why God isn't doing more to fix these things. I mean, if he cares so much about the world and about us, then why isn't he doing more to fix it? Why isn't God doing more to fix our nation? Why doesn't God always heal our loved ones? Why is God allowing our children or our grandchildren to walk away from their faith? Why isn't God doing more about the suffering and the brokenness in our world? These are real questions about real problems that illustrate real suffering in our lives. And to be honest, these are questions that I do not have specific, fully satisfying answers to. 
But here is what I do know for sure. Paul's solution to the situation in Thessalonica was to send Timothy. To send Timothy to be his representative and to teach and to encourage them. And Timothy's presence among them was powerful, life-giving proof that they had not been forgotten nor abandoned. Not by Paul and not by God. And this, my friends, is precisely where this text can speak to us today. See, Paul's Timothy points us to the true and greater Timothy. The true Timothy who was sent to us, not from Athens, but from heaven. The true Timothy who came to strengthen and to encourage our faith in God. The greater Timothy who came to teach us how to respond to suffering, both with his words and especially with his life. And I am, of course, talking about Jesus. See, Jesus is the true and greater Timothy. He's the eternal Son of God sent by the Father so that we can know with confidence that we have not been forgotten, that we have not, in fact, been abandoned. In Jesus, God has come to us in our beautiful but broken world. God has become one of us so that he could declare in person that the kingdom of God has come. And then the God-man, Jesus, suffered and died and was raised again, proof that it is God's kingdom that will prevail in the end. And that means, my friends, that wherever you are this morning, this text is for you. If you're here this morning and you are a believer and you are struggling with your faith, don't feel like you need to hide that. Not from God, not from trusted friends, not from your pastor. Suffering, trials, rejection, tragedy naturally lead to doubts into real and complicated questions, questions that sometimes we just don't have very satisfying answers to. But if that's where you're at, hear this. What I do know for sure is that you have not been forgotten nor abandoned by God. And the God who has not forgotten nor abandoned you knows firsthand himself what it is to suffer, to be rejected, to endure trials, and to experience tragedy. See, Jesus came into our world and endured all of these things so that he could be one of us and so that we can be fully and finally rescued from all of them one day. On the other hand, if you're a believer and you know and feel the assurance of God's love, favor, and, and, full, and faithfulness on you, this is not a struggle for you right now, even, if, even when life is difficult and challenging at times, then what I want to say to you is just keep following Jesus faithfully in this new year. He is with you 
And he's going to give you everything that you need in order to follow him well and faithfully, no matter what may come in these coming months, whether they're good or bad. And lastly, if you're here this morning and you're not a follower of Jesus, but you want to be, if you're finding in Jesus someone who can engage with your biggest questions and can speak to your deepest longings, you can start your new life with him today. All you have to do is pledge your love and loyalty to him. Because if you do that, he will never forget nor abandon you. All you have to do is acknowledge that you are broken in ways that you cannot fix. Believe that Jesus is all that he says that he is. The son of God who became one of us and then commit to following him as your true rescuer king. Do that and you are in. But I want to be clear to you that Jesus makes no promises that life in this world is going to be easy. And along with the beauty and joy that you will get to experience, there is also going to be tragedy and hardship. But through it all, he will show you the very best way to live and he will always be with you, no matter what it is that comes. Now Paul ends this portion of the text with a prayer. He gives words to what he desires for God to do both for him and for the Thessalonians in the future. Look at verse 11. He writes, now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus clear the way for us to come to you. May the Lord make your love increase and overflow for each other and for everyone else, just as ours does for you. May he strengthen your hearts so that you will be blameless and holy in the presence of our God and Father when our Lord Jesus comes with all of his holy ones. So in addition to asking God to clear the way so that he can, in fact, travel to, the Thess to Thessalonica again, Paul also asked God to make the Thessalonians' love for each other both grow and even overflow. And he also asked God to strengthen the Thessalonians' hearts so that they will live well and faithfully as followers of Jesus. Well, Paul's prayer for the Thessalonians is my prayer for us in 2024. May our love for Jesus and for each other grow and overflow in this new year. And may God strengthen our hearts so that with all of our words and all of our actions and all of our desires, we will reflect our commitment to live well and faithfully as followers of Jesus, no matter what comes, good or bad. Because in Jesus, we have the absolute assurance that we have not been forgotten nor abandoned by God. Let me pray. Father, we thank you for your great unstoppable plan to rescue and to redeem a people for yourself. We know that you have created and designed us to represent you in this world and to rule this world with you. Yet we did not remain loyal to you in this. 
Thank you for not forgetting us nor abandoning us in that, but instead sending your son to be our true rescue, our king. Jesus, we thank you for leaving the glory of heaven so that, we, so that you could come to us in the midst of our beautiful but broken world. We thank you for enduring the suffering, tragedy, and rejection that is inherent to our world so that you could show us how to truly live and then die for all the times and ways we haven't. Holy Spirit, please continue your good work in us. May our love for Jesus and for each other grow and overflow in this new year. Please strengthen our hearts so that we live well and faithfully as followers of Jesus in 2024, no matter what this new year may bring for us. Continue to make us more and more like Jesus so that we may become more and more your agents of grace and gospel in this beautiful but broken world. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.